0: They work nine till six Australian time at the moment, you know, it changes with Daylight Saving and then they work 10 till seven. But then there's quite a lot of travel time involved.
1: You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm.
2: Welcome to episode 358 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to CLASS for sponsoring this episode. To grow your practice, you need staff, you need people. Without staff, even with the best technology, sooner or later, or by yourself, you will hit a ceiling. To scale and grow, you need people. So you have options and these options are roughly as follows. You can hire your own staff, your own team, your part-time and full-time employees plus casual employees possibly supported by contractors during peak times. They are all your people. There's a contract between you and them. Or you can outsource the work. So you engage another business for their people to do the work. You just tell that business what end result you want to see But the rest is up to them. They train their people, they supervise them, they manage them and they deliver the result to you that you requested. You basically just buy a service. And this pure outsourcing... You might do for SEO work, social media marketing, website development, etc. But also possibly for SMSF work. There are providers out there that basically offer an outsourcing of SMSF work where you don't really work with the staff that do the work, but you just get the SMSF annual report plus audit at the end. So that is outsourcing. But then there's also a hybrid model in the middle that has become very popular. You hire somebody else's staff. Just like outsourcing, you engage another business. Just like outsourcing, the only legal relationship is between you and the other business and not between you and the people who do the work. But you work with those people who do the work as if they were your employees. You train them, you supervise, you manage them, you tell them what to do. So like a labor hire, and I know labor hire sounds like construction or farming work, but the basics are the same. So these are the three options you have, your own employees, outsourcing or the hybrid in between, labor hire, where you work with somebody else's staff. So that is the first question, who is employing the people who do the work? The next question is, where are your people based? Are they based in Australia or overseas? And if your people are overseas, that is also called offshoring. For offshoring from Australia, the Philippines are the most popular destination, as you know, followed by India, and then there's also Taiwan, Vietnam, and Sri Lanka, and other countries, of course. For us in Australia, East Asia is the easiest to work with since our time zones are very close together. For Europe, offshoring destinations are often Africa and East Europe, and then for the US it is South America. But this is not set in stone. For example, there are a lot of teams in the Philippines who work overnight and in India who work very late to serve the US market. So the time zones are an issue, but not an insurmountable obstacle. And then the third question is, whose office are your people working in? Do they work in your office, the agency's office, or in their home office? in their own home. So working from home. And this one doesn't have to be in either or. You might have a central office, for example, but your staff might also work from home. And with those three questions, who employs the people who do the work, where are they based in Australia, overseas, and whose office do they work in? With those three questions, you basically cover all the options you have. Now, purely mathematically, That gives you 18 options, 3 times 2 times 3 equals 18, but not all variations are practical. For us, let's focus on direct staff, so people you hire directly, and labor hire, so people employed by others, but who you work with as if they were your own employees. So we don't cover outsourcing, where you basically just buy a service. And let's only look at teams overseas, so only offshoring and not teams working in Australia. And then for the third question, where they work, let's cover all three options. Your office, somebody else's office, for example, an agency's office and working from home. Today, let's start with labor hire, so people who are employed by another business, but who you treat and train and manage as if they were your own employees. And then in the following two episodes, we will talk about setting up your own team, so hiring your people directly without a labor hire agency in the middle. Let's talk with three accountants about their labor hire experiences. All three have or had their staff working in the agency's office, so no working from home apart from COVID, of course. There are providers in the market who offer labor hire for accounting staff working from home, but that is still less common. Let's start with Brett Peck of Top Bookkeepers in Melbourne. Brett was actually a front runner. He offshored very early to India, long before most of us Ever even knew that was an option. So here's Brett Pack of top bookkeepers in Melbourne.
1: Clients in Australia who needed assistance with the bookkeeping or the tax side of things, and we had a team in India.
2: How did that go in India?
1: It was okay to start with. I think it was pretty new to Melbourne, so I think we got a good jump. a head start on others but I didn't really think it was such a good solution. And was it more
2: outsourcing or was it more offshoring back then?
1: No we had an active role in it so.
2: So it was offshoring from the start?
1: Yes so we were we were reviewing the files and making sure everything was per the client's requirements and fixing it up where need be and basically I found that I had a partner then and my partner looked after the accounting and tax side of things and I was doing a lot of bookkeeping and I found with the bookkeeping that um, basically by the time you go back and forward. You might have done it yourself. Exactly and done it here. So, yeah, that was the impetus to moving on and um, where i am now
2: the reason that there was so much backwards and forwards was it because you felt that the staff was not sufficiently trained in australian bass and accounting or did you feel that your processes weren't streamlined enough so there were a lot of miscommunications what do you think was the reason that it didn't work
1: the yeah. first time you
2: tried in india
1: it's a good question people might get it right and maybe it was due to my processes but i felt it was a bit of all those things. So process is one thing. I think there's also personnel and changing of personnel and reliability of personnel and also a little bit of training. So the training might have to be implemented at different stages when a new issue comes up. And I think the time barrier is another issue. Language and And all of that, everything sort of comes together to make it difficult. (laughs) And that's what I found.
2: Yes. So how long were you in India? How long did you persevere with the Indian team?
1: We did that for about seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: I expected you to say seven months. Seven (laughs) years is a long time.
1: Yeah. So we did that for seven years. We also did a bookkeeping accounting in Australia as well. So we sort of had a hybrid business and it sort of started more in India and then we slowly moved to Australia as time went on till the end where it was just all in Australia and we just threw in the towel with India. When
2: did you finish in India? What year?
1: It was 2015.
2: Was it a fixed fee or was it per hour, this time recording? How did it work?
1: It was per seat. So you'd pay basically for a person.
2: So in 2015, you had finally finished up in India and you had moved all the bookkeeping back to Australia. Yes. And then did you try offshoring again or do you have everybody now in Australia?
1: Everyone in Australia. I was completely broken and I didn't want to go there again. And I just said to myself, I'll never do that (laughs) again. I mean, sorry, I let me take that back oh i would do it again and i have done it in bits and pieces where it's like a process that is just an admin sort of transcribing process where maybe we need to get details out of an invoice into a software or something like that. And also you don't need to think about tax issues or accounting issues or how the expense needs to be applied, et cetera. So how
2: many staff do you have in Australia now?
1: So now we've got 15 staff. They're not all um, full-time, but we've got 15 people that help us with clients in Australia. And do
2: they work from home or do you have an office?
1: We do most of our bookkeeping on-site, so at the client's premises. So I've done a complete opposite of what I was doing previously. And now we go into the client on a lot of occasions. And then we don't have an office. So on the clients that we don't go on-site, we just do it from home.
2: And did you find that since you have all your staff back in Australia, did you find that the price pressure is a lot harder? Because of course, everybody else has offshore to quite an extent. And usually I think most of the offshoring from Australia goes to the Philippines. Do you find that it's quite hard to stay competitive with all your staff in Australia?
1: Not really. I don't. I find that um, for clients that want a good outcome, and a reliable outcome, and, and someone reliable to talk to and trust and, and all those sort of features, I find that they're willing to pay for an Australian rate. So no, it's actually been the opposite for me. I found a lot of pressure previously when I was um, in my last life, when I was doing offshoring, And I don't feel that pressure anymore.
2: Yes. And I think it's actually quite clever because for clients who want their accounting done on site, you can't do that with offshoring. So you basically serve a market in a way that just doesn't compete with offshoring anyway.
1: Correct. Yeah.
2: It must have been quite traumatic in the end. So bad that Brad completely turned his back working with offshore teams. But now, two positive experiences about offshore labour hire agencies, both with TOA in the Philippines. But TOA, while a market leader for accounting staff hire in the Philippines at the moment, of course, not the only one. First, a very short interview, just three minutes with Nathan Watt of Watson & Watt in Brisbane, about his experiences with his TOA staff member. You already met Nathan in episode 250 and 251 and also in update 27. Do you have any staff?
3: Yeah, so I have myself and my wife. We're both accountants. And then we have a staff member in the Philippines.
2: I see. And did you engage the staff member in the Philippines directly or through TOA or through Through, a different provider? Through TOA. Okay, good. And how did that go with TOA?
3: Yeah, really good. Yeah. Yes. How long have yes. you been with them? Uh, 12 months. Okay. Yeah.
2: And anything they did particularly well or anything that you weren't so happy about?
3: I really liked their approach to ITs, you know, and it might be the same with other providers using Practice Protect and things like that, the way they could alleviate their security concerns was probably the selling point to it for me because I knew that I had to have that locked down so I could explain to my clients that there's no issues with this. So that was the big selling point.
2: Did you engage the full-time staff member in the Philippines already when you had more than enough work for one staff member? Or did you engage them already quite early when you maybe had 20 or 30% and then you just bought the extra capacity so that you can grow? Because it can be quite a challenge to manage your capacity in line with your growth.
3: Yeah. So I did it. In advance. So I probably could have done the last year by myself or by ourselves without this person, but I would have been too busy to do everything else that I wanted to do in terms of marketing and, and things like that. So it was in anticipation of us continuing to grow because with accounting and tax clients, you might pick someone up now, but you don't actually get the work in until November. So there's a few of those clients I had this time last year that I knew were coming along in this financial year. And I knew that if we keep growing, I'm going to need help to do it. So We did it in advance and I'll keep trying to do that in advance.
2: Yes. And when they suggested candidates to you, was your candidate among those straight away or did you have to knock them all back and ask for a new search?
3: Yeah, we had to. I think I came back for a new search. I signed somebody up and then they ended up not coming on board. They moved to Singapore or something not long before they were supposed to start. So we had to start again. So that was a bit of a a pain. Mm
2: By the way, the Practice Protect app that Nathan mentions, that is a generally available third-party app. Anybody can use this app to protect their practice. So this is not specific to TOA. And now let's talk with Charlotte Norfolk of Bondi Bean Counters in Sydney and follow her journey from a fully Australian-based team working in one central office to a fully remote working team with staff members in the Philippines. So here's Charlotte Norfolk of Bondi Bean Counters in Sydney. So
0: I started as a bookkeeper in 2016, and gosh, I'm trying to remember now. The first year, I certainly didn't have any staff at all. It probably wasn't till about 18 months in that I was really, really busy and sinking a bit, so I needed some help. And so initially, I had a friend who was an accountant, but not working. A mum from school who wanted some part-time hours came to work for me. And she worked for me for, I think, probably about three years, all in all, in the end. So you had a home office and she came and worked in your home office? Yep. Sometimes she'd work from her own home, but mostly she'd come into to my home office and work here. I had another two people, another two mums from school worked for me over the years, helping out and one of them just really did admin tasks and another one was a bookkeeper and she did bookkeeping with me. And then it was two and a half years ago that I realized I needed full-time staff because the part-time was great. But when it was the school holidays, the mums all went off and I was left by myself. So really needed full-time staff. So I advertised on SEEK. Within Australia, and I hired two full timers at that stage. So that was just before COVID hit.
2: So that was the December before COVID. And can I just quickly ask you something? Those two mums from school, when they worked in your home office, wasn't that quite cramped? One was absolutely
0: fine. When the second one came in, it wasn't often that we were all three of us together. There was one stage where we had three desks, actually. We moved into a different room at one stage, hider, into the room next door and had a bigger office. Then when I moved into the office in Bondi Junction, I moved back into this smaller office.
2: So now we are roughly 2019, correct? Yep. And you have two full-timers from SEEK. And I think that is when you moved into the office in Bondi Junction, correct? Yes, because I didn't want strangers... In
0: my home, that didn't feel right uh, for me or my family to, to yeah. turn the home into a professional office. You know, I've always worked from home, but well, not always actually. But since I've been doing the bookkeeping, but um, we didn't want external people in the home, so
2: we decided to go into an office, which was which was great at the time. I'm surprised you say that worked great because I remember you moving out of the office quite quickly again. Yeah, but that was because of COVID. That was in the March when COVID hit. Oh, really? And so you were saying it actually wasn't that bad. So it wasn't a major cost renting in an office. No, it wasn't. I mean, you add on
0: your travel time to the office, your parking, you know, it did sort of add up, but it was also, it did have the advantage of being outside of the home. So that was quite nice in a way to get out. It was near lots of my clients in Bondi Junction and it was nice for clients to be able to come into the office. That felt a bit better. I often have clients to my home office. I think I preferred
2: them coming into an outside office. So, that it did have advantages in that way. So, now we are March 2020 and COVID hits. And so you cancelled the uh, office in Bondi Junction? Yep, I was sub-leasing it
0: from a client, actually, and their contract was running out. So I had to make a decision whether to take it on myself or to let it go. And even though we didn't know where COVID was going to go, I should tell you what else had happened. One of my full-timers in Australia, I let her go because it wasn't working out with her. So then it was just me and one other in Australia. In this time, I also had a subcontractor working in Adelaide so she came on board and she was remote so the two of us moved out of Bondi Junction back to our home offices which turned into Covid like a long-term Covid thing so that worked well and now we're both quite happy working at home sorry I've skipped ahead, haven't I?
2: No, 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 that's all right. So the staff member in Adelaide was really your first foray into remote working, correct? Because until sometime in 2020, you had always worked face to face with people.
0: Yes, I did have a slight foray into outsourcing way back when, probably in about 2018, when I was part of a franchise group, they had hired an offshorer and we sort of rented a day, uh, a week or a day, a fortnight from this offshorer. And that didn't work at all. <laughs> so that was no use. But aside from that, yes, this is my first remote worker. And the um, the full-time worker who didn't work out, can you just say briefly why it didn't work out? She was used to working for one company as an in-house bookkeeper and working across multiple clients was challenging was very challenging for her she was an older lady in her 60s and I think she much preferred working for one client and just doing the books for one client which is very different from when you're working across dozens of clients and you have to flick between files It was very inefficient because she just would rather work on one client. And even if she worked on the big clients, it still meant a lot of juggling and that didn't work very well.
2: Can you give me a rough idea of size through this process? So can you remember what turnover you roughly had when you brought your first staff member on? It might have been 150,000. And then when you moved into the office in Bondi Junction, do you have a rough idea what your turnover was then? It might have been double that. It might have been three hundred. Or two fifty. So now we are in 2020. You had first experiences with a remote worker from Adelaide. And now I think you hear about TOA, correct? Yes.
0: Well, I first heard about Torah from you (laughs) because you've done a, a podcast with the CEO, I think. So they were very easy to deal with. I mean, they're quite a slick operation. They've got everything set up to recruit. So it's all very easy. How long did it take? I interviewed a few before I found my first worker and she started working for me two and a half years ago. Roughly in
2: 2020. Yeah. And the first worked out really well, I think, from memory. The first one is brilliant. She's just fantastic. Yeah. And then the second one? Then I think I've had
0: two that haven't worked out. And then I've got a fourth one who is good as well. The first one I tried was more of a assistant role to just do email diary management admin that sort of thing and the problem was they'd gone to home working so she was working at home and she had a baby at home and also her skills weren't up to the level even excel skills and things like that that we needed or that we were we believed we were getting so Toa were very good actually they realized it wasn't working out. and Yeah.
2: And so they gave you the third one for free. So basically they swapped the second for the third. No, the second one just finished
0: because I didn't want another assistant position. It wasn't really adding any value to me. So what I went for then was a junior bookkeeper and they have a program where they train them in Australian tax laws and zero and things but they've got an accounting degree they've got a little bit of experience and then toa put them through a training academy and the guy we first got through that was a lovely guy but really not very motivated with working (laughs) and so he actually reported to my original toa my really good toa lady but he didn't have the drive and just wasn't producing enough work basically. Mm. And so did Toa exchange that? Yes, for number four, who has been with us about six months now and is doing well.
2: So out of four trials, you got two hits. Yes.
0: <laughs> Good. Can you tell me how do you
2: communicate with them? Through Teams
0: mostly, Microsoft Teams. We have that as an Open channel constantly and we do it via video
2: calls. So we have constant video calls really. And then payment is easy because you just have a flat rate that Toa Takes from your account through direct debit. Yep. So you don't need to do screen recording or anything like that. Now, not talking about you, but talking about a friend. I think you had a friend who also used Toa and I think she found a document in her client folders that suggested that the full-time staff member also had other clients outside of working hours. Yes,
0: I have come across this and I think it was when everyone was working from home. So I think for me... TOA works really well because the staff are in the office. It's a professional office environment. There are great breakout rooms and lunch rooms and all the rest of it. So it's really good and you can see them in the environment. When everyone had to work from home in the height of the pandemic, I did hear from a friend who used a TOA person who had found a file on Dropbox or one of the file systems which looked like it was a different client certainly not one of their clients and so I think it was potentially an issue when people were working from home that they had their equipment at home but I don't think that could ever happen when they're in the office because they're just working on your files
2: maybe it could I don't know but I haven't come across that when they're in the office you're probably more protected from moonlighting than if they work from home 100 percent. the only risk you have is that they come home and then don't relax but start working yes just start start working directly yes and I think
0: that it does happen as well I have heard that that does happen but I don't know what you could do to stop that and if it's not affecting their work then I don't know that that would necessarily be a problem. I mean gosh working the hours you know they work nine till six Australian time at the moment you know changes with daylight saving and then they work ten till seven but then there's quite a lot of travel time involved to get to the office certainly for my staff so I don't know that they'd have time to do that to be honest but it yes. could be I suppose if they lived closer and they had time to do it or worked on the weekends for other clients
2: yes because they have a very different attitude to work-life balance I think I think a lot of them travel one or two hours to work yes to, yes to, to our office Yeah, Did you notice a change in quality of work when everybody moved to working from home? I didn't really with my
0: number one, because she's just been brilliant. And I don't think there was ever a time when I called her and she wasn't ready at her desk with her headset on, ready to chat and go through files. I really think
2: I was lucky there, to be honest. You did mention at some stage that when they were working from home, they didn't have a second screen and that that slowed her down. Oh, no, they did have a second
0: screen. No, also, I so I
2: gave them a second yeah, screen. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, good.
0: Yes, I don't think you could do this job without a second screen. No, they did. They had their monitors and everything. I mean, I think it was quite a juggle to set up everything. But no, certainly my employee did really, really well.
2: Thinking back to the um, two tour members you hired who didn't work out, looking back, do you think there's something you could look for now that would give you an indication that they are not the right candidate? Uh, Yeah, we were certainly more cautious. I think
0: the assistant role was an interesting one. And I probably learned a lot there because Toa did a bit of a marketing job on, it would be great. It could change your life, get an EA. And it did sound like it could really make a difference, but that wasn't my experience at all. But
2: that actually could be my fault as well. At the time you felt a bit like Toa was upselling you. Like, do you want fries with that? They were a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know a couple of other people who use Toa and I haven't come across anyone else who's tried that route of an assistant. And I...
2: So, yes, I probably wouldn't go down that route again. Yes, so basically to have a non-accountant role, to have a pure admin role. Yes, yes. Mm. And maybe
0: we are too small for that, actually. Maybe bigger places it would work better.
2: So now looking at your staff structure now, you have one full-time employee in in australia and does she work remotely or does she come to your home office she works remotely i see okay and then you have the two full-time tour workers in the philippines so that means at the moment you have three full-time workers and the team is entirely remote yes and i have
0: actually got someone else within australia who just does 10 hours a week who's just started
2: i see okay good so you have a team of four plus you so basically five people and you all work remotely yes So that's a big change because at some stage, you know, it was three of you in your home office and now it's just completely remotely. Yep. Yep. And that works well for you. It does. It does. Yeah. Yes, it could be at some stage we go back. If we grew
0: a lot more and saw more clients face to face, it could be that we get an office again. I wouldn't rule it out and having more staff. I I think having both Australian and offshore staff works really well. For me, because you've got the knowledge in Australia, but you've also got outsourcing some of the more basic jobs. Not that they just do basic jobs, to be honest, but I think it's good to have a balance of both. So that works well for me. But no, I wouldn't rule out having an office at some stage in the future. But at the moment, it works well.
2: Your vision is basically that when you grow even more and then that you have a Sydney-based person basically with you in the office who can do more of the uh, client face-to-face work. Yep, that would be really helpful at some stage, yeah, as we grow. So it's not so much that you want the uh, bookkeeping work in Australia in your office, but it's more the uh, client-facing work that you want in Australia in your office. Yeah. Are you okay to just quickly talk about your tech stack? I think your tech stack is very straightforward. I think you just have Teams, you have PI, Practice Ignition, you have FYI Docs, and then I think you have Dropbox, correct?
0: No, FYI is the document management system, but the one that's missing
2: and the really big one, which we just love, is XPM, Zero Practice Manager. I kind of took that as a given. Yes, apologies. Yes, but you're right. That should be listed as well. Uh, you have Teams, you have PI, you have FYI, and you have XPM. Yes, Have you started to like FYI more than you did in the past? I'm not the biggest fan of FYI, but the rest of the
0: team do like it. And they're integrating more with XPM. So our task lists and our jobs are feeding through. We're going to start to feed those job lists through. But I don't find FYI the most intuitive front end. And just from
2: memory, I think you also tried Carbon HQ. Yeah. And I think that didn't work either, correct? I didn't love that one either. It was too complex for me as a
0: bookkeeper. We just do bookkeeping. So we're just doing BASs, payrolls, and it seemed brilliant and an easier interface to use in FYI, I would say. But yeah, it was probably too much for our bookkeeping business.
2: Yes, yes. Because you don't have that many different tasks. It's payroll, yes or no. Best, yes or no. We'll come back. So these were three witness reports about offshore labour hire, about using an offshore labour hire agency like TOA or others. In the next episode, episode 359, let's talk with Teresa Vesalo of the Gross Prof in Sydney, who set up his own overseas office. So he employs his overseas staff members directly, without a labour hire agency in the middle. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.